Welcome back to A Push for Understanding. Uh, this is the first of six AP uh, test study guides, and this one's going to be going over um, the first era of uh, kind of the United States history, uh, which is the Washington era. I'm dividing up uh, United States history uh, by six U.S. presidents who I believe are the most influential presidents um, in history. That doesn't mean they're the best U.S. presidents. That doesn't mean they're the worst U.S. presidents. It just means that they established eras and established time periods um, that are easy to follow and have uh, select themes um, that a push has been able to, uh, well, has been able to push into our brains for the past uh, year at this point. So the first era that I believe uh, the United States can be defined as is the Washington era. So um, while this is the Washington era, it doesn't start with George Washington. Uh, a lot of these buzzwords um, are not during Washington's term, but they are leading up to the important parts of Washington's term. So uh, the first buzzword that I believe starts American history proper uh, is the Seven Years' War, which basically... Um, the United Kingdom, or England, and France are going at it. They um, declare war on each other. That lasts nine years. I know, seven years' war lasts nine years, whatever. Um, uh, and the fighting is across pretty much every continent because uh, the United Kingdom and France have colonies all over the world. And that includes North America. Uh, the United Kingdom has a territory in... Uh, the United States, of course, uh, along the 13 colonies in France, owns um, a lot of territory outside of the 13 colonies like Quebec and the Louisiana territories and et cetera, et cetera. Um, no, they don't own the Louisiana territories. They own uh, a lot of the Midwest and Quebec and other territories, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, basically, Seven Years' War um, threatens the colonists because they have an enemy right at their doorstep. They have the French invading their lands, and they have to fight the French. But they're not powerful enough to fight a world power as strong as France, so the United Kingdom has to also get involved and protect their colony. Uh, and this ends kind of the, what uh, historians call salut salutary neglect, which is the United Kingdom is kind of neglecting the colonies and not really forcing its ideals on the colonists. But after the Seven Years' War, um, the UK begins to uh, impose harsher taxes on the colonists, and they begin to take a greater role in the governments that the colonists had established. And this is seen in um, a lot of legislation, but the one I'm going to talk about most is the Proclamation of 1763, uh, which means, or which proposes that uh, the Colonists can't pass the Appalachian Mountains and move further west uh, to protect the Native American tribes that are on the other side of the Appalachian Mountains. Basically, the colonists have been expanding into the west, and the Native, the Native American populations there have been getting slaughtered, uh, despite the UK's promises to protect them. And so the UK says that you can't pass the Appalachian Mountains anymore. And this kind of builds up on tensions. You get the Stamp Act, you get the Tea Act, um, and it kind of all builds up or sorry, no, you don't get the T-Act yet. Uh, these tensions start to build up and eventually explode in Boston, where the Boston Massacre um, kind of becomes the center, central rallying point of the colonists to begin uh, fighting a war, fighting for independence, fighting for representation. Um, and basically it leads, well, I mean, you know, I'm sure we all know about the Boston Massacre, uh, British soldiers fire upon uh, Boston civilians when, 
when provoked via the um, colonists throwing stones at or stones and oyster shells at them. Um, and one thing leads to another, and they fire on the crowd. Um, eventually, um, we see greater a greater number of armies moving in to Boston. Uh, Boston has many acts, and the colonists get the Tea Act, uh, which leads directly to the Tea Party, the Boston Tea Party, where they throw tea into the water, into the Boston Harbor. Um, and tensions are really mounting at this point as rebels and extremists begin um, kind of fighting, sort of guerrilla warfare. Um, but it's not really combined. So some of the greatest influential some of the greatest influential leaders of the American Revolution, you know, George Washington, Alexander Hamilton, um, you know, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, they all meet at the First Continental Congress, uh, which signs, or basically shows the first signs of the federal, gov the federal government uh, beginning to be established and really begins to uh, organize uh, an army and organize militias to fight for their independence, which comes in useful because um, soon the British land and fight the battles of Lexington and Concord, uh, which really marks the beginning of the revolution, and the British lose these wars, which inspires the Americans to continue fighting um, through harsh guerrilla warfare for uh, multiple years, which has um, chaos pretty much happening um, along the coast. You have southern or the southern parts of the United States are more loyal um, to Great Britain, uh, not entirely, but they see more loyalist support, whereas in the north, George Washington's campaign of trying to fight the British with less numbers and less equipment and less uh, forces is able to eventually rally a cause, uh, get the French, the Netherlands, and Spain into the war, and eventually is able to turn the tides of the war. and um, is able to kind of convince the American people that it's worth fighting again. Uh, so we get the Declaration of Independence, where America declares um, that it's kind of separating from the United Kingdom, and the United Kingdom um, doesn't really respect that, and begins to become more involved in the war. But at this point, the French, the Netherlands, Sp the Spanish, and now the American colonists um, are too much for them, and they sign the Treaty of Paris, which means uh, America is now an independent country, uh, has won its freedom, and now they get to kind of determine their own rights. Um, we are still not in the Washington era at this point. Washington is not elected for another, uh, uh, well, over a decade at this point, because we have the Articles of Confederation, which establish a weak government with no power. Um, pretty much just states are, have the main power over the government and is able to do whatever it wants. The government does not directly collect taxes and basically has to beg the states for money, which, as you can imagine, the states don't really want to give the federal government money and raise taxes on their citizens. So the federal government is very weak. And this is exposed um, This is exposed during Shays' Rebellion, which is um, kind of just the government needs to put down a rebellion inside their territory. Um, but they can't because they're too weak, and they can't uh, get the men because, again, they have to go to the states to get militia forces and an army, and they can't raise an army on their own, which means they're unable to put down this rebellion, and Alexander Hamilton calls a constitutional uh, convention. And so uh, they adopt the 
American Constitution. Um, kind of, uh, well, yeah, well, I'll talk about the Constitution. So, um, the Constitution is proposed, and the government is much more stronger. Um, it They decide to have a president, which the first president ends up being Washington, basically becomes a game of trying to convince Washington to take the job. Um, and the Constitution has uh, what we call the Great Compromise, which is uh, Madison's proposal, or, yeah, fourth president Andrew, or not Andrew, why did I say Andrew? Uh, fourth president Madison's um, separation of the House and Senate. The House is divided up among population of states. Uh, basically, like a state like California is able to have more uh, members of the House than a state like Wyoming, because California has more people. And then the Senate is divided up among states, um, state representation. So every state, no matter population or size, gets two representatives uh, per state. And that's called the Great Compromise again. Um, Along with this kind of great compromise and the establishment of a government, Washington takes charge, and we begin to see the divisions between um, the Federalists, led by Alexander Hamilton and his kind of economic proposals and social proposals, um, and we see a divide between, again, Hamilton and uh, Thomas Jefferson, uh, who's the leader of the Anti-Federalists, or as they'll... Uh, form later, they'll form the Democratic-Republican Party. Okay, so uh, that again leads to a two-party system. And then pretty much right away, Madison wants more more protections uh, given by the government to its people and proposes a Bill of Rights, proposes 10 amendments to the Constitution. Uh, many of them are forgettable. Uh, you probably don't know them all. I actually don't know them all. Um, but, I mean, probably the three most important are your uh, First Amendment rights, right? Freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, etc. Um, your right to bear arms, which is your Second Amendment, uh, quite controversial, but important in both today's politics and the politics of the 1700s. Um, and your uh, Fifth Amendment, which is your... Uh, your right to plead, uh, right to plead the fifth, right to remain silent, um, as well as your other rights to like a speedy trial, uh, your protections against um, uh, inhumane con or kind of inhumane inhumane sentences, um, and just uh, other general forgettable rights like the Third Amendment, which <laughs> says that the military can't walk into your house and ask for residence. It's it's used all the time in America today, you know. Um, anyway, I, I think I made that joke before, which is kind of sad that I'm reusing jokes. But also, like I said in the last episode, jokes are not my job. Um, so anyway, uh, after the Bill of Rights, there's not really many buzzwords. So we get the Washington Farewell Address, which is Washington's uh, kind of plea to the American people that we don't join any European alliances, we don't get involved in uh, the wars, and we just we focus on domestic issues and domestic policy in the United States. And that um, influences American uh, foreign policy for about the next 200 years. Um, and everybody pretty much listens to him. Uh, so we stay out of wars, 
for the most part, for the most part, I'll get to the exception in this era, um, but we stay out of wars and focus on domestic policy. So um, George Washington's vice president takes after or gets the job after him. Uh, so John Adams is sworn in as president um, after Washington leaves after two terms. And uh, pretty much the most important thing John Adams does, and he doesn't do a lot because he's kicked out after four years um, um, and loses his re-election, of course. Um, he passes the Alien and Sedition Acts, which basically gives the government even more power uh, than the the new constitution after the Articles of Confederation did. Um and basically allows uh, for the government to crack down on people who speak out against the government, who criticize the government, uh, mainly who criticize John Adams. And uh, it's kind of seen as an encroachment on um, United States uh, freedom of speech protected by the First Amendment, which puts him at direct odds with Madison and Jefferson, the anti-federalists, who want to see those protections of the Constitution enforced. And so... Um, in Virginia and Kentucky, uh, Madison and Jefferson work in those state legislators to pass the Virginia and Kentucky resolutions, uh, which basically question the rights of the Alien and Sedition Acts and um, repeal them as part of their laws. And it really brings into this question of state or federal laws, which one has more power, how, how much rights do the states have? Um, which is not going to be answered until the Civil War, so I'll wait until then to answer that question. Um, John Adams is then, uh, like I said, kicked out of office, and uh, Thomas Jefferson is sworn in. And the biggest thing he is able to do in his uh, term is expand the United States, basically doubling the amount of size uh, the country has in the Louisiana Purchase, um, and is able to acquire the lands from Napoleon. Napoleon um, sells us, uh, most of the Midwest and uh, about half of the southern uh, southern states um, to fund his uh, Napoleonic Wars, uh, to fund the wars of France. Um, and America is able to begin settling past, well, I mean, we had really always been settling past them, but we could now officially begin settling past um, the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, then we get into the one exception to uh, Washington's farewell address, which I brought up. Uh, we get involved in European wars in the War of 1812. Um, we're now in Madison's administration. Madison um, is kind of caught up in this spiral between Britain and France. They're at war. Napoleonic Wars, like I said. Um, <laughs> so we're getting, as we're trading with these two countries, uh, Britain and France begin kind of harassing our sailors. Um, with the XY, or no, not the XYZ affair. Um, I forgot what the buzzword was called. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> uh, basically, they begin se se stealing our sailors and forcing them to join their armies. They begin seizing our boats, taking our equipment, shooting down our men, killing people. It's kind of a disaster. So we declare war on Great Britain um, and, begin, and begin the War of 1812, which is pretty much a stalemate, if you will. Um, I mean, it's really not. <laughs> we lost a lot of battles. Um, we lost the White House and the Capitol building, which is probably not great. And it's also the first, uh, the only time a U.S. president has been fired on by another country. Um, they take over the White House, and Madison is forced to flee um, because, you know, 
living inside a burning building is not a good idea. Um, <laughs> uh, but really, the two big points from the War of 1812 is the Hartford Con Convention, which the uh, Federalists, who are opposed to the War of 1812, they basically want uh, New England to secede from the United States and declare itself as independent because they don't support the War of 1812. Uh, so the Hartford Con Convention uh, leads to the downfall of uh, the Federalist Party after it becomes leaked that they'd like to do this. Um, and then the other important thing is the Battle of New Orleans, which uh, General Andrew Jackson takes lead of, and he is able to boost his popularity from the from his victory at the Battle of New Orleans um, and eventually be able to launch his political career. Um, finally, after the War of 1812, we have the Era of Good Feelings, where the Federalists... Um, like I said, the Federalist Party is destroyed, so there's no major party to oppose them. And so there's really no political divide in the United States anymore. And, in, and an era of good feelings in politics and policy has uh, begun, where there's not really much divide in the House or Senate. Uh, then we have the establishment of the Missouri Compromise, which says that every free state, for, for every free state created, there has to be a slave state. Um, basically, Missouri wants to join the Union as a slave state, and that would upset the 11-11 balance that had uh, kind of become a staple of democracy or democracy in the United States. So uh, the, uh, or they propose a, that Maine becomes a free state as well. And you see um, two states being added to the Union each time for about the, uh, right up until the uh, Civil War, uh, trying to maintain the balance and era of good feeling that's going on there. Uh, then we have um, um, Monroe takes kind of charge of the United States in a sworn in, and he proposes his Monroe Doctrine, which says that no more colonies can be settled, settled in the United States, and basically trying to tell the European powers to get out of uh, the Americas and that we're going to protect uh, the Americas' rights and we're going to protect their freedoms um, when we can. And if we can't really enforce that because we're kind of a weak power. But by the Roosevelt administration, we're able to actually begin enforcing that and telling the Europeans to get out of our continent. Um, and basically being able to crusade against uh, colonization and um, imperial, imperial powers um, who want to, kind of, from the United States' position, um, subdue the will of the people and take over these uh, take over these territories and own them which the united states is very much against because that's that that's our independence um and then eventually this the washington era ends um with the election of 1828 or the corrupt bargain where andrew jackson who runs for president and wins a, a majority of votes wins a majority of popular votes in the united states uh is not able to win because it's a four-way race. So basically, Andrew, uh, Andrew Jackson wins the most votes, wins the most, wins the most sole votes, but does not win the most number of electoral votes uh, through the Electoral College. And so, because there's no clear winner, Andrew Jackson, who is a political outsider at this time, um, is unable to kind of convince the Senate and House to make him president. And so uh, the corrupt bargain uh, in the House and Senate, as Jackson calls it, 
uh, the corrupt bargain basically stops Jackson from being president and being able to fulfill his term, mainly because, again, he's a Washington outsider and they hand it to uh, Washington insiders. I believe it's John Quincy Adams. Um, eventually, Jackson wins the election of 1832, and that's the beginning of the Washington era, or the Jacksonian era, which is the next podcast. But anyway, uh, that's the end of the Washington era. Um, kind of the biggest point is that the United States is a country now and that we've enshrined in our Constitution uh, many of our fundamental rights like freedom of speech, freedom of um, freedom of the press. Well, I guess freedom of the press and freedom of speech, except for the uh, Alien and Sedition Acts. Uh, but generally speaking, American values of voting and representation and taxation um, with representation are extremely important and uh, begin to affect United States policy even up to this point. And our values with things like World War One and neutrality rights and World War II with balancing the powers and our um, attachment to capitalism during the Cold War. So a lot of our a lot of our foreign policy and domestic policies of today can be explained through um, our kind of values and established values during this time period. So anyway, I hope this was helpful. I'm not really sure uh, how helpful these episodes are going to be, but I'm going to make them anyway, um, hopefully to help everybody with their AP U.S. history test coming up. Um, and I hope you learned, I hope you learned something new or... <laughs> or didn't learn something new. It, it would be preferable if you learned absolutely nothing new, knew all of this, and you're set with this era. So, um, <laughs> but I hope this was useful to you, and I hope you come back for the next review.